Good evening, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of Tear Health with Dr. G. You're joining me live in the comforts of my home. Hey, we are here today doing social distancing. I got my hashtag social distancing swag, social distancing expert. I got the t-shirt as well. Shout out to DNA Plainfield, social distancing pro. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, we're going to talk about opportunity that is here, but we're just, I'm just so excited to have this new format of Tear Up with Dr. G. We are here continuing our mission to bring you the right information so you can make the right decisions about your loved ones and your family. And this show today is no different than everything else. This may be my first time doing a Zoom Live with Facebook interaction, but I've danced this rodeo before. I'm so excited. This is my 82nd show of To Your Health with Dr. G. It's just been an amazing journey, and this journey will continue to help. Revolution continues. So welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician. I practice out of Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. You can check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com, drmarkgomez.com. Check me out on my, all my handles on social media at to your health, DRG. We are here on a special night today talking about social distancing and in particular talking about the coping strategies in this new era, this new age of social distancing. So we're going to break it down because we're hearing these words all the time, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're going to talk social distancing. We, we're going to talk about what it means in general. We're also going to talk about what can we do because when our lives have been uprooted by this pandemic, there's no doubt about that. Make no mistake, we've all been touched by this pandemic, but it's we're going to see how we can respond during this time of certainly uncertainty for a lot of people, but talking about the strategies that are needed to help you get through this. Again, as a physician, I will tell you this, we will get through this. We will get through this. It's okay to be prepared. Again, preparedness is appropriate. Panic is not. Again, we have so many trained medical professionals that are out there on the front lines doing so many things to care for you and your loved ones. And that's going to continue as we see it moving forward. So welcome back again. Um, what I want to do is, since we're here in, in, my, in the cover of my home, I'm going to certainly introduce you to my, my amazing guest, Tom, Todd Fink, in just a few moments. But I want to, as always, when we do anything on TR with Dr. G, I want to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today, talking about the theme, the words that we're hearing a lot, coping strategies in the age of social distancing. So we're going to break it down, and everything that you've always been accustomed to during TRF with Dr. G, it's just going to happen just like that. We're just here from the comforts of my home, and you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. You know I am going to bring that Miss versus Facts as usual, and I actually might participate this time, Miss versus Facts, uh, or I might let Todd answer all those questions, but it's all good. We want to make this interactive, very intimate, but we also want to talk about the opportunity that lies ahead. So without further ado, I want to introduce my longtime friend friend and colleague, Todd Fink. Let me read you his bio because his credentials run deep. And you guys can see Todd right there. So Todd Fink, CADC. Todd is a certified alcohol and drug counselor at Linden Oaks 
uh, Behavioral Health. He's an artist. He's a speaker. You can check him out on so many different platforms. Check him out at www.michaeltoddfink.com. You can also check him out at www.thegivingtreeband.com and also at www.eehealth.org. Todd has been on my show multiple times in the past. I'm so excited to welcome him back. Todd, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Hey, hey, man, this is, this, is, this is awesome. I'm so glad that you and I, you know, it's so funny. You and I have been talking about trying to do this kind of a platform uh, for, a, for a while. And those of you that have seen my show before, Todd's been on a number of times, and he and I have so many ideas. We connect so well. Uh, and, and so we're going to continue this collaboration going on. So, Todd, why don't you just introduce yourself, um, tell us a little bit about your background, and give me a few opening words on this theme of coping strategies in the age of social distancing. Okay, well, like you said, I'm a certified alcohol and drug counselor. I do group sessions, life skill sessions for outpatient clients at Linden Oaks Behavioral Health, mostly in Plainfield. And I'm doing that work right now full time during the pandemic because there are uh, a number of patients in, in our community that are still at risk and need to continue with their outpatient care. Uh, in addition to that, I have a podcast called Kind Mind. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And in that show, I talk about art, creativity, spirituality, well-being. And I also play music in the Giving Tree Band. We've had a little bit of a break in the last several months, but have a long career recording albums with that band and touring throughout the, throughout the continent and a little bit overseas as well. So I try to bring all these different platforms together, mostly to bring inspiration and uh, healing to people's lives. And during this crisis, I found that my work has greatly expanded as people um, need more resources to cope with this new challenge. And I would say like this, this time of social distancing that you message, uh, mentioned is a real psychological test for everybody. And I think it's hitting everybody in a little bit different ways. And we can jump into that today and, and hopefully help people walk away or <laughs> sit back <laughs> in their homes with some new ideas about how they can use this time wisely and take care of their mental health. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Todd. It's just so been, been a great pleasure to have you back on the show and debuting in my new format here on TRF with Dr. G. So now you guys have met Todd. Uh, his, again, he is just an amazing person, amazing friend. And we're going to ask questions. Again, I want to keep this as, as just like how we do my regular show when I'm in the studio. This is still no mm -hmm. different. We still want to bring you guys the right messaging on everything. And so we're going to talk a little bit more detail. So when somebody comes into our office now, I, I as a physician, I'm doing virtual or telephone visits, uh, uh, telephone medicine. So when people come into our office, we call that the chief complaint. And the chief complaint, aka the question of the hour that we're dealing with is this. Tens of millions of Americans are adhering to social distancing measures in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. For many, this seems rather intuitive and easy to follow, but for others, not, not quite so much. So how do we cope with social distancing guidelines while protecting our mental and emotional well-being. So that's what we're going to be talking about again. And so I think uh, myself and Todd have just kind of laid down the foundation that really when, when we're forced to completely uproot our lives, uh, the toll on both people's mental and emotional health uh, can be unbearable for some. Again, some of us can adjust uh, pretty, pretty appropriately, but others have some little more challenging. So we're going to talk about this. So let's start with this. Todd, let me ask you this question. Just in general terms, what does social distancing mean to you? 
Well, I think it's really important that we remind people that social distancing is essentially physical distancing. It means we're being asked to maintain at least, at least six feet of distance between us and everybody else. And to assist in that, at least in the state of Illinois, we're being asked to shelter at home, to stay at home, unless you have essential travel or you're part of a medical field and, and some other work where you need to be out of the house. But I think that's important to make that distinction because I've actually noticed during this time that there's actually new opportunities for deeper social connection and interaction. So the main thing is keeping physical space, but that doesn't mean we can't find new ways to connect with each other and check in on each other and talk to each other. The reason for that six feet of space is because the coronavirus is spread through coughing and sneezing respiratory droplets and that gives us um, a better opportunity of breaking the chain of infection by limiting the ability for it to spread and it is quite contagious there's a uh, a reproduction number known as an r naught and it's greater than two which means every person without these measures would spread it to uh, more than two people and that can lead to exponential growth and i think it's been hard for people to wrap their brain around that because it's that that exponential growth starts uh, seemingly slowly, and then it really starts to take off as we're seeing now. So it's, it's really not something our brains understand intuitively. It doesn't quite fit into the evolutionary picture. We're a lot better with linear growth, uh, one today, two tomorrow, three the next day. So if you think of this thought experiment of uh, a pond and a lily pad appearing in that pond one day, and, and if it started to grow exponentially at a rate of uh, doubling each day. That means on day one, you have one lily pad. Day two, you have two. Day three, you have four. And let's say it takes 30 days for lily pads to cover the entire pond. On which day out of those 30 would half the pond be covered? Well, I think intuitively we might think that the 15th day, somewhere in the middle, but it's actually the 29th day because it's doubling. So one day before it's totally covered at that rate of exponential growth. And so we are seeing that there's that kind of infectiousness to this illness. And that's what well, you talk about these well, measures. Have been put well, in you place. talk about the, the, the realities. I love how you use the R not, and that's a very statistical uh, measure that we use a lot. And the reality is that the, with the, with the R not being two to three, uh, two or three, somewhere in that area. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, what is different is a lot of people may say that thing like, well, it's the flu. This is not the flu. The flu has typically an R naught of one uh, where one person infects the next person, but this is literally a doubling or a tripling based on one, one individual. Ideally, we want to see those curves come down. You want to see that slope kind of come down uh, and get into a negative number. That's when you know you're actually making some good measures. So I love that, you know, I think it's important for us to understand social distancing because the reality with this condition is that we just don't know who is contagious. This, this virus lives for 14 days, the incubation period for roughly 14 days. We just don't know who's got it. There's not enough diagnostic tests that are out there. They are coming. We're testing more and more people, uh, but, but it still pales into comparison to the, to the population at large. So the best way to mitigate this is keeping people at home or keeping people separated from each other. Uh, Todd, I want to piggyback on what you said, because you talked about social distancing is really a physical thing, but you're not talking about it as, as being a, a connection thing. 
because I do agree that there's a difference between social distancing and social isolation. What we're talking about is not actually losing contact with humanity. You know, we're just looking at it from a different angle. We're asking people to, uh, for the greater good, let's put it that way, to have these other kind of relationships. And I think it's a good time to explore those kind of relationships. So let me ask you this, Todd. When you're working with clients, or we're talking right now live, you know, how can somebody take those first steps that may, that in that person who may not be comfortable with these measures that are in place? Well, it's definitely an adjustment for a lot of people. And I think it's important to recognize that our service to the community, and, and some people have compared this to a war. And if it's true that we'll end up losing hundreds of thousands of, of Americans, well, that would put it on par with a world war. I believe 400,000 people died in World War II. And so if 200,000 people are lost to this disease, well, then, you know, you're, you're getting into that kind of territory. And what's different about this is that it's much more abstract than, uh, say, the threat of uh, a foreign invasion from another country. And I think because it's so abstract, we're seeing some varied responses. And also, the sacrifice that people are being asked to make is very unusual. Normally, when there's an emergency, we need to mobilize. In this case, and maybe for the first time ever in human history, we're being asked to immobilize. And people are not really used to being still, staying at home, doing less. And yet, that may be the, the best thing you can possibly do to be a good patriot of your country. And I think we're going to actually see after all of this that our definition of patriotism is going to expand beyond um, its military parameters, and it will include people on the front lines like you, Dr. G, and um, taking care of, uh, of the, the patients and protecting the people medically and those scientists searching for the, the medicine and the vaccines and so on, and, and the people at the stores and people keeping supply lines going. like They're going to be heroes in all this. And then the rest of us are also asked to do our part by limiting our uh, physical proximity with other people. And so I think mindfulness and some other tools will, will be helpful for people to make that adjustment. And I want to say that, well, I keep saying to people that this is a reckoning of empathy, which means everybody's going to be affected. I mean, it doesn't matter if you can work from home and you know that you'll get through this financially because everybody still has older people that they love and we know they're at risk. So somehow this is affecting everybody and when I say it's a reckoning of empathy, what I mean is that catastrophe is always striking somewhere on the planet, whether it's fires in Australia or in California, whether it's earthquake or hurricanes in places like Haiti and Puerto Rico or, or Katrina in Louisiana. The point is that when catastrophe strikes a community, an individual community or place, or an individual through personal loss or bankruptcy or disease, I think we unconsciously, the rest of us unconsciously look over at that and, and we have to rationalize it somehow. We might donate or, or feel something or we might come to a funeral, but then that person or that community is left on pause to try to put the pieces back together, maybe for the rest of their life. And it can really feel like the world is going on without you. 
in this crisis, the world is not going on without anybody. So we're all in this together in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, but I want, just want to add one more Please. quick thing that, that we're, we're not all making the same sacrifices by staying at home. You know, some people are staying at home and that means they're going to lose their job. Some people are staying at home and that means they'll be all alone because they're single. And some people will have to stay at home and they're going stir crazy being around their family 24 seven. So yeah, we'll, we'll jump more into what people can do in those different situations and how to use mindfulness to uh, manage their, their mental health through it. Yeah, I can't wait because I definitely want to ask you that question in a bit. I want to come back to a little bit of what we're talking about. I mean, a, a lot of us have embraced these measures again. Some of us has been maybe a little more of a challenge, but let me ask you this. I'll, I'll set it up this way. Um, you know, a lot of us understand Todd, okay, uh, sorry, can you hear me? Okay. I hear you now. Yeah, sorry, yeah. the connection broke for a bit. Sorry, we're back. All right. Okay. Uh, so I was trying to set the, uh, set the, uh, yeah, so we're back on Facebook. It should be, I mean, news now live back on Facebook. So sorry about that, everybody. We just a little, t this is technology. We got to embrace it. It is what it yeah. is. So I was um, setting, I wanted to set up this kind of foundation for you. So, uh, you know, piggyback that, we could, we could rationalize these measures that we're asked to do. Um, and a lot of us can definitely identify with that. But when it comes, and so, so we have the intention, right? But when it comes to the behavior aspect, uh, I want to talk about that because sometimes intention and behavior are not necessarily on the same level. Uh, so for example, somebody can uh, understand that they got to stay at home, but then they choose to engage the behavior into something that we're asking them not to do. So they might still go out to uh, uh, the supermarket. Now they have a social social gathering at the supermarket or, or things like that. So, 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 and, and I will say sometimes that behavior may also be associated with some assumed risk that they're willing to take on. Uh, even though, again, we've rationalized this, we have the intention of wanting to do things, but the behavior can, can take on assumed risk, not only for that person, but also for others that may be there. So how do you kind of balance that out in people that are really fighting this right now, that are really saying, you know what, I'm really struggling. Uh, uh, my life has changed. I'm used to having a lot of connections in a physical standpoint. I understand what's going on. I, I rationalize that I need to be doing this, but then I may still go ahead and do that behavior. Well, yeah. And that's because, again, this condition is very abstract. And so like if you fall into a demographic where you know you're not likely at all to get sick, you know, if you're younger, if you're really uh, physically healthy, you, you, you're probably hearing in the news that there's less uh, chance that you could get symptoms. And so I think it lands differently for everybody. And so education is so important here. And it's difficult to get the right education out because there's a lot of just opinion pieces going around. And, and that's why it's important you know, for me to talk with you, Dr. G, a, a medical expert, because well, we, don't, we don't really need opinions right now. We, we need to have facts. And, and also, we don't have all the facts because it's a novel virus. And we're still, scientists are still collecting data to try to educate us as best they can and uh, guide us with the right measures. So I think it's important that people tune in to the right sources like the CDC, like the World Health Organization. There's another uh, website that's just data, covid19.healthdata.org and Johns Hopkins and so on. But I think because people relate to the abstraction differently, it's going to take some time for people to make the adjustments to their life. I think it's 
the responsibility of people in healthcare to support people, to encourage people to do the, their part in the social distancing. But I think that's going to include giving people options for how to structure their life at home and to realize you can still walk as long as, and go outside and spend time in nature as long as you're able to maintain the physical distancing. Excellent. Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about lifestyle, because there are those, these opportunities that we were talking a little bit before we went live about some of the opportunities. And for those of you out there that are watching right now, go ahead and type in for me, go ahead and type into the comment section, what you've learned and tell me about any new opportunity that, that you've, you've discovered while you've been social distancing. I want to keep this going on and make it interactive. So please feel free to share. I'll give you an example. And then I'll have Todd give an example. Uh, so I've discovered that my opportunity, at least from a professional standpoint, I'll give you a professional and a personal. And so from a professional standpoint, I, if you would have asked me two weeks ago when I have been down for some telemedicine, I would have said, absolutely not. That's just me. I'm old school. Uh, and so I was like, no, I would not do virtual visits. I'm not doing video visits. I'm not doing anything and stuff. Uh, I'm old school on that. And now I've embraced it. Uh, and, and the opportunity that's there. And actually my patients have been extremely grateful that they don't have to come to the office. So that's my professional. My personal thing is that actually now that I'm not spending time commuting to go to the office and I can basically wear pajamas all day, flannel, of course, why not? But while I'm doing those things, I can actually find time for myself to exercise, to read the time that I, that might've been at risk if I didn't have it. So I'm trying to be more intentional so I can see my kids when they're awake uh, and alert, my wife, when she's awake and alert, instead of me getting out of the house super early. So I've found more rewarding opportunities uh, about myself, and I'm taking advantage of this. So Todd, give me an example of what you've done, maybe professionally or personally, that's been a novel discovery or a new opportunity that you've taken advantage of during the social distancing measures. Well, here's something I noticed professionally, and I don't know if this is true across the board because it's a small sample size still, the patients that I've interacted with, but I've noticed that it hasn't necessarily increased their anxiety. Now, you might think that this would really increase people with the pre-existing mental health conditions, increase their, their risk. Um, and, and I can only uh, in, intuitively explain it as probably akin to the dynamic of being in a group when you're in the therapy process, when you're in an outpatient program or, or say people in addiction in a 12-step program, there is strength in, in a group setting. And initially, when patients come to, to group for therapy, sometimes you'll hear them question how that would be helpful. Like, how is it going to help me to be around other people who have depression? Won't that make me more depressed? And then spontaneously in a day or so, hearing the stories of other people lifts their mood. Because what's happening is empathy. When, like I said before, when people are going through their individual struggles, it's really isolating. It's really alienating. And I think to know, oh, we're all in this together. Everybody is facing some kind of difficulty, some kind of challenge. It's actually less stressful. And those people have already been there. So this is actually creating a normalcy to the stress that they've already felt. So I think that's interesting. I don't know if that's true across the board. But I think that presents some really unique opportunities for the whole planet, knowing that most of us are observing this. Millions and millions, if not billions of people around the world are observing these measures. And we're having this time to slow things down and think about uh, what the impact of our global uh, action is. And I think there's a lot of parallels to other coming threats like climate change. And I think this will give us an opportunity for global cooperation. 
Todd, I, wanted pers- to, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, I want to just piggyback on what you said just sure. a second ago before you jump, jump to the personal. You were mentioning that, that, that intuitively, I would actually think as a, as a clinician, I actually think that this would, this would lead to more anxiety in some people, but you're not necessarily saying you're seeing that. I'm not seeing that as much as I thought I would. And that's the surprise because, yeah, yeah, that does feel counterintuitive. But you are seeing anxiety go up for people who maybe don't have depression or have not been treated for that. Because I think the hallmark of stress is uncertainty. Well, people in treatment for depression and anxiety and PTSD, their life has been uh, mired in uncertainty. And so they're already familiar with that. Now knowing that they're not alone in that feeling, I think is providing some sense of comfort, oddly. Uh, but that's why I keep saying this is an opportunity for radical empathy. Go now, ahead and other give me a people personal, are facing oh, uncertainty for the first time. What's I was going to say, go ahead, and go, ahead and go ahead and give me a personal yeah, discovery a personal, kind of thing. A personal note, these, I, I've been saying that this... Uh, age of social distancing may actually be the beginning of the end of social distancing because what this really is is physical distancing. But I've noticed in the little bit of interaction that I've had at six feet of a distance, like when, when I'm on a supply run at the store, that when I look at the other people, they're actually seeing me and I'm seeing them. Like we, we recognize there's a person there behind that and that there's a story. And we know that they, that every other person we see has their own unique adversity. That's always been the case. But we've been buried in our phones. People come together for dinner, let's say, friends, and they're social distancing. They're, they're <laughs> sitting together, but everybody's in their phone and they're not fully present with each other. I have yeah, noticed that yeah. like, I'm hearing from people who I haven't talked to in a long time. And these Zoom calls are creating opportunities for me to connect with old friends I haven't seen in a long time. And so I'm hoping that this is actually, in my personal life, the beginning of the end of social hey, distancing. I, 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 I love it. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I always think about, um, again, we're talking about these opportunities. And I think for people out there that are watching us live now is to really um, be introspective. Uh, mm-hmm. I really think about the, 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 the things that are there that weren't there. It's almost like we stopped and pressed pause. And now you can actually see the, the, the fruits of your labor, so to speak. You can see things that still give you your worth, still give you your self-preservation, you know, your family, your loved ones, or whatever is important to you. See, you know, your pet. You get to hang out with your pet. You got dogs that don't hang out with your pet all day. But, but think about some of those opportunities that were taken, I don't want to say taken for granted, but never weren't there because the time factor we're so busy. And it's interesting, Todd, uh, my wife showed me a meme the other day of, uh, of a family. Are Memes are great. So she showed me a, a meme of a family helps. and they're doing social distancing, kind of like what you said. It's a family of four. They're on their couch and they're all in their phones. And then, and then that says, that says before social distancing. And then a meme below that is, where it says after social distancing is like the family out for a walk. And you're just like, is this what it that's what I'm talking to about? Get us to that's what I'm talking about. Have the connection, real connections, meaningful mm-hmm. connections, and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the human race has been just that—a a frenzy uh, of work and busyness. Like a culture of busyness has swept through the planet with technology and cell phones and internet and all that. And I think. This has given us an opportunity to step back for a moment and, and see what really matters, what's really essential, and how we've maybe prioritized tasks above relationships. And I think there's a chance for us really to uh, 
set a better course from here. Excellent. So let me ask this question. I want to, you know, we're, we're here. You guys are joining us live here on the Zoom. My first Zoom Facebook uh, live interaction. I, I think it's going well. Hopefully it's all going well. It should be. We're having a great yeah. time talking about the opportunities that are here during these uncertain times. And again, uh, as people, we don't necessarily like having that uncertainty. We don't like feeling uncomfortable. And for a lot mm-hmm. of this, this has been, we're just keeping it real. But the, for a lot of us, is that this situation has made it uncomfortable. And it's going to be uncomfortable for the short term, for the time being. Uh, but we're looking at, again, trying to find if there's a silver lining out there to fill those gaps that are there, those voids that you have. And so I want to ask this question to, to Todd. Um, this is a question that came in. So I'm going to go ahead and, and I want this to be interactive if you can. But I want to ask you this mm-hmm. question because I want to um, go right there. So here we go. The question is, how can we help elderly people embrace new ways of doing things rather than in person? So I kind of think of the uh, idea of, uh, uh, of people that are maybe of low technology, let's put it that way, or people that have always historically craved the social physical interactions. They may not be on social media. They may not have virtual digital connections. Um, and they're used to having their social um, reward system stimulated by the physical interaction. So how do people that, that, that are, are used to go, being in social situations now thrive in a more of a virtual or non-social situation? Well, I think for some of us, you know, we're not, we're not going to thrive in the virtual uh, world as much as being able to have physical affection. I think that's important. We just know that this is temporary. And so I think it is important for us to, to look after our senior citizens and anyone that may be uh, having a harder time making those adjustments or learning how to use technology. And so that can be a, an important way that people can contribute in this crisis. If you can get on the phone with a loved one or a person that maybe is less familiar with something like Zoom or some of these apps or FaceTime, we can call those people and we can start walking them through and then letting them know it's okay and that we're going to be there for them. Yeah. Excellent. So thank you, Todd. Let me ask, let me, let me pivot a little bit uh, because uh, I've got a question that I want to read to you. And I, I think about, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on what, what was that last question about how do we um, advise the elderly, but let's talk about just some real world stuff. I mean, there's, there are people that have had their lives turn around. Um, there are people that are currently parents. Now their child is at home or their children are at home. They're not used to that. They've had to make modifications from their end. Maybe they're also taking care of an elderly parent. And so you see a lot of these dynamics change uh, and, it, and it may be very hard for people to uh, adjust properly to those and they may still be adjusting. How do we kind of set a foundation to just kind of tell people to take it maybe one step at a time or how do you help people really adjust? Again, you know, kids are in the house now, you're taking care of your elderly, elderly people your elderly loved one, maybe the job situation is on pause right now, but where do we start? Do we, do we start by trying to be mindful uh, and li- really living in the present or trying to appreciate the things that we have? How would you start that person? I would start by assessing the severity of the situation in each family. Now, obviously, like I said, the sacrifice that each family has to make or each person has to make in their home is not the same, you know, and, and, there is a wide range of risk here. It's not just the health risk of the virus, but there's also the mental health risk associated with the economic fallout. So I think it's important to respect all that. And I think when people assess their situation and they know, okay, we're okay right now, then I think 
you you might want to check in with your anxiety because if you can work for home from home and you know that things will be pretty stable then you want to ask yourself like how valuable is anxiety and fear to you that can actually be the most hazardous thing then in this time for some families and so if it may be necessary to just ease up on the expectations. So yeah, parents have to educate their children from home right now or, or support them, I should say, in keeping up with their studies. But I think, I think this is an opportunity to come back to the basics. I think right now expressing concern and love and finding new ways to build connection ought to be prioritized above keeping up with tasks. That being said, it's a little bit different for everybody. Everybody will have a little bit different need in this time. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to piggyback on that again. We're talking about some of the changes that are happening, the changes that a lot of us have been really forced into um, uh, very fastly. I always say kind of as humans, um, we, can, we can embrace change, but we don't like fast change. Uh, and, and for a lot of us, it's been just like that. It's been really fast. And so we've had to really uh, adjust on the fly. And that can cause even more exacerbation of those uncertainties in people, those doubts that are out there. I always say like, you know, you know, it's, it's like when you're really busy and all of a sudden you're not busy, you're kind of like, how do you, how, you know, it's almost like, how do you just be as a person when your being, your existing has completely changed? Let me ask you furthermore on that one. Maybe we'll start with that one. How do you just be? Um, and then second of all, um, what about our risk of losing our, our, our own identity and purpose in that matter? Well, a lot of people are suffering mentally with the loss of identity. Keep in mind, almost all of our identity is built around a relationship to the society. And so when we're asked to step away from society during these social distancing measures, yes, it's going to be a threat to um, the, the way we see ourselves but I think there is also a really important opportunity for introspection here. I mean, I would like to say that we're all on a worldwide meditation retreat right now. We didn't know we signed up for this, <laughs> <I like that. laughs> but here we are. And like, I've, I mean, I've personally been on many silent retreats in my life from weekends, long retreats to months long retreats and in silence. And I observe that not everybody is able to embrace that. So I, I I've, studied the effects of being alone on different people or being separated at times. And the real key here is that if it's voluntary, it can be extremely healthy and transforming. And it has many benefits for building the right structures in our brain. If we feel it's involuntary, so like solitary confinement, imprisonment, those are involuntary measures for separating people from the society. If we frame it in our mind as this is a prison for me, it's going to be a struggle. And so yeah. I, I'm trying to give people mindful resources so they can look at this time and see it as a meditation retreat that the whole world is supporting them on. And if they can frame it that way and embrace some time to themselves, some solitude and build in this opportunity for meditation. I think people maybe who are just learning about meditation, maybe approaching this in the wrong way. Meditation is not one more thing that we need to do because when you practice meditation, you're doing nothing. You're actually just practicing being. And that's new for some people because we're so caught up in doing. And the doing with respect to society is what gives us a sense of identity. But there's something beneath that or more fundamental to that. 
And if we want to be truly happy in life, we will have to get in touch with that fundamental nature of who we are. Because the, the ultimate reality is that our relationship to the society is always going to change. And we have built our routines and that has shielded us from really doing this, this really important and healthy introspection. And so now it's an opportunity to do that through mindfulness, through meditation, and just bear in mind that doing so is not one more thing to do. It's about subtracting and realizing that, that this is an opportunity. Uh, I've heard someone say, I've never had the time to have time, and now I do. So I do. let's yes. take that time and, and practice. Yeah. Let's Thank do you. it. So I'm going to change, I want to pivot a little bit before we get into some myths versus facts in a little bit. Yeah. But I want to talk about the lifestyle because uh, a lot of you people, everybody that's out there knows uh, I'm, I'm all about lifestyle medicine, hashtag lifestyle medicine. And, and I think lifestyle medicine, a lot of the principles of lifestyle medicine uh, come in handy during this time that can help ease some anxieties and uncertainties, but taking advantage of the opportunity. Again, as Todd just said a few moments ago, we're not human doings, we're human beings, and we're trying to connect our beings again. We must be, and that is very hard for some people to do, but it's not an impossible thing. Uh, it's so very when rewarding, I, yeah, if we can. So I like that, the rewarding. And, and, and so I think we have to, have to be intentional in doing that. And so when I think about lifestyle medicine, how does it apply to this? As we're talking about coping strategies in this age of social distancing, I think of the following. And these are tidbits that you can do right away. Number one, I'm just going to go through a quick list. Number one, limit the amount of information you read about COVID-19. Take COVID-19 breaks. I tell it to my patients. Um, you, have to, you have to allow yourself, though, to take that break. Give yourself permission to take a break. You know, you don't have to check every five minutes. You know, this thing is changing ever, it's changing on an hourly basis. But give your time, have those COVID-19 breaks, and be careful what you read. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Todd mentioned earlier that there are some great resources out there that are reputable resources. The CDC, we're looking at the World Health Organization. Johns Hopkins University has a great resource. Of course, uh, www.drmarkcovens.com and check me out on my social media platforms. That's a great resource as well, too. Um, stay informed by using those trusted resources as well, too. When we talk about washing your hands, wash your hands um, thoroughly, uh, but it doesn't have to be ritualistic, um, but, but just using common sense measures there. Stay connected with people in non-physical ways, and that's what Todd and I have been talking about, for those of you that have been listening and those of you who are joining us, staying connected with people in non-physical ways, and, and also, and at the same time, staying connected with yourself. That's very important. And then last but not least, um, um, when you're doing this thing, uh, we always say you can still maintain a sense of normalcy and productivity and internal peace while doing these measures. So it starts with step one. So I want to ask you this time. Um, I, I, I want to take you. I'm, I'm going to save the mindfulness act activity because I want you to do a mindfulness activity for us. But I'm going to save that in a bit because after Todd does mindfulness activities, oh my gosh, you'll be set straight. Uh, you'll be so calm, and then it's going to be hard to enjoy my theme music when I take you out of the show. Uh, or actually, you might enjoy it a little bit more. But let's do this. Todd, um, when, you get, when you're kind of getting wrapped up in all this kind of stuff, this, this coping strategies and, and adjusting, that can lead to burnout. Can you, can you, can you, can you kind of elaborate on that? On, on If I'm going to tell somebody to avoid burnout during this time, uh, first of all, can you just say what is burnout? And then maybe how can, do you see burnout playing a role in, in inhibiting us or prohib, prohibiting us um, from, from being our true selves during this time? Well, the burnout that 
I'm seeing right now is that people are feeling so much with others and they're getting calls sometimes from people in crisis. And, and, you know, if you're a healthcare worker also we're pretty much like up to um, our ears in COVID-19 information, right? We're emails every day and, and it's, you know, we're having to do town hall meetings and we're getting this information all the time. And then, then you come home and, and families usually want to just kind of unload about all the things they've been thinking about with, with respect to the pandemic. So we're kind of getting burned out on our ability to be compassionate. So the, the compassion is like a battery in the brain. It works like willpower when you have to keep using and keep using it, you lose energy. And so burnout is a sense of psychological exhaustion. It may be characterized by fatigue when it's taking place in a helping profession like in healthcare or for therapists or social workers or teachers or first responders, it can be painful because it's also associated with some degree of shame because people think I'm supposed to be on all the time to uh, perform my work. But I think we have to set a boundary with our empathy. We may want to structure in when we talk to other people and we may want to talk with our families about when we'll take in new information as a family and how we will uh, implement those measures and how we can collectively take our minds off it so that we're recharging and resetting our batteries. But uh, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, but I think self-awareness will be important here. Wonderful. Well, so you guys have been joining us live. Uh, we're going to get into Miss versus Fact in a, in a second, but I just want to just appreciate and, and take the opportunity to thank all of you that are out there right now joining us and really sharing your night with us, sharing your evening with us, and really looking to find some ways to weather the storm, but also to succeed at the end, because we will succeed at the end. This is what we do as human beings. We always rise to the situation. There's been so many, you might hear a lot about some uh, this and that or you know, these statistics that are sound kind of ominous, but, but I kid you not, there are so many individuals out there trying to make this world a better place to try to, to, try to overcome the, the burdens of this virus. There, there are at least 20 uh, vaccine trials going on globally. You know, people are now being more connected with each other. So we're seeing some more opportunity. Uh, the climate's actually better now. Uh, and looking at looking at satellite images compared to even even three six nine or twelve months ago, so we're seeing these opportunities out there that are really going to benefit us as people. So every week on Two Year Old with Dr. G, we do something called Miss versus Facts, and it's all about setting the record straight. So I got some ones for Todd. I might participate okay. a little bit, but I've been thinking about this. You know, it's interesting. Hopefully, Todd, it's you, not too hard because this you know, is a very fluid situation. <laughs> you know, you know, Todd, Todd, you got this though, my friend. So uh, and you're a pro on this kind of things. And I, you know what, I might participate in this myself you Please know you do. just never know yeah, uh, if together. i do if we're i do this together Dr. we G. are this together uh <laughs> when, when i do participate for those of you that that know me when i do participate in miss versus facts i i tend to give myself the easy ones so here we go so here we go miss versus facts here we go miss versus facts coping strategies in the age of social distancing so i'll say a statement and then todd or myself if i participate uh, will say myth or fact and we'll kind of keep it rapid fire boom 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 a few sentences on whether it's a myth or, or a fact so here's the first statement this is for you todd Statement, social distancing is not social isolation, myth or fact. That's a fact, right? Please we can explain. still talk to each other. <laughs> we can still Zoom each other. We can FaceTime each other. And, and if we're more than six feet apart, we can, uh, we can see each other. We can talk to each other that way too and spend time together. 
Wonderful. Thanks, Todd. Here we go. I'll take this one. Myth or fact, here's a statement I'll take it from me. Uh, if you do not need to go out for a mission critical service, do not go. I agree. That is a fact. Right now, this virus is widespread. We, the only, the best mitigation strategy we have, aka slowing down the spread of this virus, is to social distance. So if it's not mission critical, we're advising people to stay at home because we just don't know who's got this disease, who's shedding the virus still. A lot of people, yes, predominantly people shed the virus when they're having symptoms, but people can shed the virus while they're asymptomatic and not knowing anything. And so the hardest thing is that we're trying to try to get a better handle on who has it's the best way you can do to break the cycle of virus spread is to stay at home. Here we go, Todd, myth or fact, I like this one. Um, you may not know what to do when you're not doing what you normally do. Myth or fact, you may not know what to do when you're, norm when you're not doing what you normally do. Well, I would say that that's probably true for a lot of people, that uh, this is an unusual situation and they're not used to it. And not, may, may not be used to being at home, may not be used to being around their spouse all day, every day. <laughs> I mean, some people are, are coping with being alone. Other people are coping with being around their family all the time. And so, yeah, I think this is, this is a, definitely a psychological test for a lot of people. Wonderful. Here we go. I'll do this one. I'll give myself an easy one. Here we go. Uh, here's the statement. All human interaction needs to be stopped. That is a myth. All inter human interaction does not need to be stopped. We talked earlier about the fact that you can take advantage of so many non-physical ways to continue to have that connection with others. So we're doing it right now. So that is a myth. Here we go, Todd. I like this statement. Here we go. Myth or fact. Social distancing is only for the elderly and those with high-risk conditions. Well, that's a myth, but it's been taking some time to educate people and to get to motivate them to follow this. And had some people say, you know, I'm getting really angry that uh, certain groups of people aren't following this or young people aren't listening to this. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity, though, for radical empathy. I don't want to take up too much time on this, but because it's abstract, I can only think of another threat like climate change. And climate change is going to disproportionately hurt younger people. So older people have been asked to change their ways. And they say, look, the experts say, look, it might not hurt you, but uh, don't you want to protect your children and grandchildren? And we haven't changed. And then on the flip side, in the, in the pandemic, people are saying, as medical experts are saying to younger people, hey, this virus is spreading. This threat is real. All right, look, it may not harm you, but don't you want to protect your parents and grandparents? Yeah. And so, I mean, here is an opportunity for some real radical empathy. And it's going to take education and it's going to take inspiration, I think. But yes, we all have to do our part. And because of that incubation period, like the average of five days before symptoms, how we've huh. been able to contain a deadly disease like that. Excellent. Well, there you go. Thank we'll do you. a couple more of these. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. I'm going to give myself this one. Uh, this, is a, this is the physician in me. Here we go. Here's a statement. I have to cancel my wedding, birthday party, religious gathering, or other celebration. The answer is a fact. And, uh, it, and unfortunately, as difficult of a decision as it is, um, we have to continue to minimize the spread of this virus. So I know it's hurt a lot of people. Um, look at look at what's going on now. Um, they just in Chicago over the weekend, uh, a funeral was broken up because there was too much social. There was not social distancing going on, and so these are just some some some. How sad um, is that, Doctor it's, it's very sad. It's like and that's happening in Italy yeah. and in New York. I mean, these are other examples of just how 
horrific some of the uh, effects can be. And, and again, we're, we're thinking about when we have to make people understand that, you know, people might say, well, this is only affecting the select few. We look at the totality of, you know, 7 billion people in, in the world and you're only, you know, you're looking at a fraction of the amount of people that are going to die from this thing. But in, the, in that grand totality, but, but the reality is that uh, this is unnecessary uh, of life, loss of life. And we're seeing that right now. I mean, our local hospitals are full of people right now. And some people are dying that if they didn't have this virus in the first place, they would have been able to continue to live and thrive. And so we have to think in the empathy factor mm-hmm. is there too. Let me ask you this question. Here we go, Todd. Here's a statement. We'll do one more of these misfortunes effects. I like this one. Here we go. Here's the statement. Despite the best of intentions, social distancing may be difficult to actually carry out, even in response to the possibility of infection. I think that's a fact only because uh, it's, it's difficult to have the self-awareness. It's going to take some time. We have habits and we have routines and that is controlled by some of the deeper parts of our brain, like the striatum, which we share with other mammals. So we still have things that we do unconsciously and it's going to take mindfulness. It's going to take self-awareness to remember, oh, I can't just go and hug this person when I see them because that's increasing the risk of transmission. Wonderful. Thank you. So what I want to do now, and that's Mr. Effects. Thank you guys. So what I want to do now, I want to, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to uh, do a mindfulness exercise because i think it's an important thing we're talking about the opportunities that are had to be intentional during this time frame so before before i take us out uh, near the top of the hour i would like to have todd um lead us through an example of a mindfulness act- activity and i think it's kind of important so todd i'm going to pass it on to you and maybe we could do something for a few minutes of just uh, what mindful breathing mindful meditation is yeah. maybe help our listeners right now just to do it so go ahead and create the scenario for us Okay, let's, let's do a mindful breathing exercise together. So I invite everybody to sit comfortably where they are. Try to keep your spine straight. Close your eyes. If, Sorry. No, close your eyes if you feel comfortable, Dr. G and those listening and watching. And before we begin, I'd like you to try to relax the tiny facial muscles around your eyes. And then let your shoulders sink a little bit towards the floor. They tend to come up towards our ears when we're stressed. Let your arms hang from your sides like heavy curtains. And check in with your stomach to see if it's tight. Try to ease any muscle tension there in your abdomen. If your tongue is pressed against the roof of your mouth, let's try placing it behind our upper teeth or in some other way that feels more relaxed. And then without changing anything, I'd like to draw your attention to your breathing. Notice what it feels like to have air flowing in and out of your nostrils. Then notice what it feels like to have your body expand and contract, however it naturally does. And then we're going to practice something that I call ocean breathing. So now I'd like you to direct your attention to the sound of breathing. You may choose to breathe a little bit more deeply so you can hear it. But listen to your breath 
as if you were listening to the ocean so that the incoming breath is like an incoming wave and the outgoing breath like the outgoing wave. Listen and observe and notice that it feels peaceful. So the last part of this would be to allow yourself to enjoy just breathing. Notice that it feels good to take in oxygen and energy and that it feels good to exhale and release. And then you can slowly resume your normal awareness and your normal breathing. And when you feel ready, you can slowly open your eyes and come back to the room. And if you like that, you can find the recording of meditations like that and others on my website, michaeltodfink.com forward slash studio. There's more than a dozen guided meditations from one minute up to 30 minutes. So depending on how much experience you have with meditation, you can find what works for you. But I think it's important to never do more than feels like a luxury. So this isn't something that you extra you have to do. This is something that is like giving a rest to your mind. Treat your breath and these practices like a pillow for your mind. Wonderful. Well, thanks, thank you. Dr. That was G. an hey, thank you, Todd. That was amazing. Uh, I, I woke up. I, I literally, literally came to with a smile on my face as y'all saw it. So let's do this. We got about five minutes left. Uh, Todd, this has been great. We're going to summarize yes. this up and everything. Let's do this. I mentioned at the beginning, I called the chief complaint when somebody comes into your office. We talk about the situation of the hour. How do we, how do we have uh, better coping strategies to help deal with our mental and emotional well-being during these uncertain times? Uh, when somebody leaves our office, we call it the assessment and plan. So we give people their diagnosis. We also give them uh, a plan of care and certainly, a, more importantly, and most importantly, a follow-up. So, Todd, give me a few take-home points for people out there yes. um, to be successful in coping strategies in dealing with this age of social distancing. Give us okay. a few take-home points. Yes, here are three things to take home from this talk. Number one is kindness. There will be all kinds of opportunities to be supportive of others, even if you're not out on the front lines doing essential work. We've talked about ways to get in touch with other people to show that you care. Kindness actually reduces the stress hormone cortisol, and cortisol is an immunosuppressant, so that's going to give you an immune boost as well. There's something known as the Mother Teresa effect that was studied at Harvard, and just witnessing her perform kind actions uh, for orphans and, and sick patients actually resulted in a boost in the immune systems of the students observing that is tested uh, through saliva samples. So that's one, kindness. Uh, the second one is creativity. So when, if, if you're in that group where you're kind of bored and you're looking for things to do, it would be really helpful to take up some kind of project that will take between two weeks to the rest of your life to complete because 45 minutes of creativity also reduces the stress hormone cortisol. And when you are making art or making anything at all, you have to actually make a lot of decisions. And because the brain is highly metaphorical, it doesn't store those memories of those decisions in some separate place. And people come out of works of art and 
and creativity feeling like they're more confident because they have the practice of making decisions. And when you complete tasks associated with creativity, you get little boosts of dopamine. So that motivates people and elevates mood. And then the last one would be uh, some kind of mindfulness, like meditate, like the meditation we just practiced, because that's going to help people get in touch with their true self, their true nature, their authentic self. And I think that will lay the groundwork for helping us all come out of this better people and a better world. If we reflect on how some of the greatest music and the greatest works of art came out of periods of solitude from some of our all-time artists, imagine what we stand to achieve when all of us come out of our worldwide meditation retreat. Wonderful. So thank you. Well, thank you, Todd. You know, my final thoughts are this. Again, realize this, that we are in this for quite some time. We're in this for a little bit of the long haul, but there are still, even though there are still weeks and months ahead during this COVID-19 pandemic, this will go away, not in the short term, but it will in the long term. But I want you to take advantage of something called the Apple technique. This will be kind of my final words. Number one, acknowledge, A for Apple, acknowledge. Notice and acknowledge the uncertainty as it comes to mind. P, pause. Don't react uh, as you normally do. Don't react at all. Pause and breathe. Vitamin O, oxygen. Love it. Breathe more of that. Number three, P, the third, second P, pull back, pull back. Tell yourself this is just the worry talking and this apparent need for certainty is not helpful and not necessary. So thoughts are not statements or facts. Just really think about, don't believe everything you think. Again, pull back a little bit. L, let go. Let go of the thought of, or feeling. It will pass. You don't have to respond to them. You might imagine them floating away in a bubble or a cloud. And the last thing, E, uh, is to explore. So we've acknowledged, pause, pull back, let go, and explore. Explore the present moment as Todd has just been saying, because right now in this moment, all is well. Just remember that and you'll be very well and we'll get through this pandemic together. What I'm going to do, of course, uh, on, on further episodes of TRL Tech G, but also even though we're going to be talking about other topics uh, down the road, you, I still want you to get the right information from the right resources. We're going to continue to broadcast as much as we can about the COVID-19 pandemic, but we also acknowledge that health continues to go on. There's still other things to talk about, and I want to make sure, actually, when you talk about some other things, it kind of gets you away from the COVID-19, a little bit of a COVID-19 break that I talked about. So those are kind of my final thoughts. So I want to thank Todd Fink. Todd, a great friend, longtime oh, friend and colleague. Todd Fink, let me read his credentials again. Todd Fink's Certified Alcohol and Drug Counselor at Linden Oaks Behavioral Health, artist, speaker. Check him out, www.michaeltoddfink.com. Check him out also at www.thegivingtreeband.com. And he's also at www.eehealth.org. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2020 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. So thank you again. Stay tuned for my next episode. Next week, we'll be breaking down COVID-19 a little bit more. COVID-19, what we know right now. As always, check me out on my website at www.drmarkgomez.com. I'll catch you guys later. Stay well. Social distance. Social distance. And stay well. Peace out.